Hey, welcome to episode number five of the BK Show. Today, I'm happy to have on one of my personal coaches. Uh, his name is Elliot Rowe. He is a mindset and performance coach. He has worked with some of the top poker players in the world. He also works with Olympic medalists, UFC champions, Hollywood actors, business executives, and Wall Street traders. His unique mindset coaching system leverages the power of hypnotherapy to eliminate fears and break through mental roadblocks, allowing you to operate in a state of peak performance every day. So I meet with Elliot once a month, and I think you'll hear throughout this podcast why I do that, what he works on, and I'm, I'm super pumped to have him on. I think Everyone needs someone in their corner, coaching them along, pushing them. Uh, and Elliot is that guy for me right now. In the last year of my life, he is one of a, a handful of people who have truly changed the trajectory of my life. And I'm super thankful that I met him. I'm super thankful for the people he's introduced me to. Uh, and I'm super excited that he decided to come on the podcast. So uh, welcome, Elliot Rowe, to the podcast. Welcome to the show, Elliot. I appreciate you being here. Hey, man. Thanks so much for having me on. So uh, you are a personal mindset coach, and that can mean so many different things. Um, I'd love to know, I'd love for you to explain exactly exactly what you do before we kind of take it back and figure out how you got here. Um, so I, I would describe myself as a performance coach who uses life coaching and hypnotherapy uh, to help people reach their full potential. So I'm working with people in different industries from athletes to entrepreneurs, top brokers, CEOs of companies, um, typically people who are looking to reach the top of their industry, but they, they might know they have some issues holding them back, some self-sabotages, um, some blocks in some area that they don't fully understand. And the work I do mainly with the hypnotherapy is to help them work through that and unblock whatever's holding them back so they can reach their full potential. So, I mean, obviously, I work with you. I have a little, like, deeper understanding of, of where you came from. I met you I don't know, a little over a year ago or so uh, mm -hmm. at a mastermind event. But you, you kind of deep dove in there of, like, how you even began with this. So, like, for me, the first time I ever heard this, my mind went to those commercials to quit smoking, right? C mm -hmm. Come get hypnotized and, and we'll have you, you know, smoking no longer very soon, right? And so how how is what you do and and the the quit smoking hypnosis, like, how are they the same and how are they different? Um, typically quit smoking hypnosis, it's usually suggestion sessions. So you're listening to the hypnotherapist and they're giving you good reasons why you shouldn't be smoking cigarettes. Um, you know, telling you things like you're a natural non-smoker. It's a learned behavior. You can unlearn this behavior. Imagine, um, smoking the cigarette is like inhaling the exhaust fumes of a car, that sort of thing. So they're trying to create a vivid picture of cigarettes that disgusts you so that it's easy to not want to put something in your body that disgusts you. Mm -hmm. And that can put people off and they can stay put off long enough that they don't go back to smoking. So for someone who's doing quit smoking hypnotherapy, it usually looks something along those lines. Um, the work that I do is mainly regression based hypnotherapy. So this is where we start with whatever the issue is. So I was describing these blockages, these self-sabotages, and we're looking to understand the, the reasons behind that from the person's past. And hypnotherapy in the sessions allows you to bring up memories in a way that you wouldn't bring up in a normal conversation. There's, there's no magic. It's not like um, the stuff you see on TV or stage shows, but it is an altered state where memories come up more vividly, more emotionally. And we can then work through them. We can reframe them so that they don't trigger you in the same way. And once we remove those triggers, it becomes a lot easier to live life because you're not being triggered in the different areas that were holding you back before. So the first time I met you, and and I think I saw you on the agenda of the mastermind I was at before I came, that's where my head immediately went, right? I think it was our senior party 
they had all the seniors in the gym and then uh, you know a guy doing hypnosis on the stage i think a lot of people can probably relate to that experience so i didn't know what to expect from you right like my brain immediately went to uh, who's this guy right <laughs> uh, and i knew you had worked with some big names i even talked to you in the back of the room a little bit and you mentioned some of the names you worked with um and i was kind of blown away right like you're working with some top tier individuals and so what what is the difference between uh you know the guy up on stage telling you you're getting sleepy versus you know what you're doing um so the the biggest difference and and this is where most people believe that they can't be hypnotized so you can go to one of those shows and you know i've had a therapist try to do hypnosis with me it just it doesn't work on me that kind of hypnosis i'm never going to do something that i don't want to do and the majority of the population won't and it's sort of a combination of picking the right people from the audience so the bigger the audience typically the better the show um, and then there's a lot of peer pressure as well. So you're being, you're on stage, you're getting a lot of attention. Lots of people are watching you. So even then you're probably doing a little bit more than perhaps the hypnosis is doing. So hypnosis is a part of it, but it's a small part of a very clever show that's been put together. Um, the work that I do is purely therapy based. And the first big difference is that anyone who is capable of any kind of meditation is capable of doing hypnotherapy. It's very close. So it's like a guided meditation, whereas at the end of the meditation, sort of the, the relaxation phase of a typical meditation, you're looking to clear your mind as thoughts are coming up and go back to your breath, bring yourself back to your breath. When we reach that same stage in hypnotherapy, we're looking for an incredibly deep focus on one subject. So instead of clearing your mind, you're focusing in on the anger or the anxiety or the fear of failure or the fear of success. And then as you focus in on it in a different way than you would in your normal state, it, it brings up all of these narratives. And it's, it's the working through the narratives that's the main part of my work. And as I say, the difference mainly is that the vast majority of people will have no issue at all with a hypnotherapy session, uh, but it will only be the tiny minority who find themselves on stage. Mm, yeah. I mean, I mean, I remember sitting in that gym and there was like two out of our class of 130 uh, and that's that about it appeared right. to work on. Right. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, I've worked with you uh, multiple times and, and somehow you, you lead me in the right direction or, or the meditation leads me right to where you want to take me like out of the gates. Right. I, I, I still know I'm sitting in the room I'm sitting in. I still know, you know, I'm talking to you, but it's it's much, much different. Hmm. Yeah, it, it brings up things quickly. Um, and as I say, there is no magic. And, <laughs> you know, I want to I say that on every time I'm interviewed, you know, try and make that clear. You know, this isn't a, I'm going to click my fingers, you're going to be better. This is some magic yeah. shift in your life. This is an understanding of what program was created. And then we're just adjusting that program to be more suitable for your adult life, because typically we make those programs we're running as children and they're not particularly effective. So when you do interviews, is it, I mean, do people bring up office space as a reference? I haven't seen office space. You haven't seen it. All right. So I think I'm quoting the right movie. I hope I am. But at the beginning of the movie, he's, you know, he's, he's tired of working where he's working and he's going through kind of a divorce therapy. Um, and the, the hypnotherapist has a heart attack in the middle of it where he's already told him to let all of his fears go. Uh, and so now he just, you know, doesn't give a, he doesn't give a fuck anymore. And he just shows up to work and when he wants life. to, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Maybe you should watch it. I, I hope I'm saying the right movie here, but uh, yeah, I'd be shocked if nobody's ever brought that up before. Look, I, look, I know what you do and I was hoping you could iterate it and we'll deep dive into it a little bit later. Uh, hopefully a whole bunch more, but like, how did you even start with this? Right. You didn't grow up as a little kid and you're like, I want to be a hypnotherapist. No, no, not at all. Um, I was basically, I had a fear of flying. 
Um, so I was really uncomfortable flying. I wouldn't, I basically would barely do anything long haul, um, short haul flights. It would ruin my vacations. So I'd go on holiday. I'd be worried two weeks before it. I'd be worried the whole holiday um, and be, you know, on the edge of refusing to get on planes. So significant fear of flying. And someone recommended hypnotherapy to me. And I was as skeptical as everyone who's listening to this show. Um, so I was like, yeah, okay, I'll give that a try. Um, I went and gave it a try and she managed to resolve it in an hour, um, which completely changed my life. Um, and how did, you, not- how did you know it was resolved in an hour? Like, obviously, she took you back to something, right? But like, how did you know when you were done, I'm not scared of flying anymore? Uh, the the thought of it. So previously, prior to the session, the thought of booking a flight or getting on the plane would make me feel physically sick. Mm. So I could feel it in my stomach. Just the thinking of getting on a plane, there would be a tension and I'd feel feel sick. Um, one, you know, even thinking of like I'm going to book a holiday would be a really uncomfortable thought for me. Um, and I didn't have that after the session, um, and I didn't have it on flights afterwards. So, so I can only really put it down to the hypnotherapy. Um, and where it was most interesting for me and where everything clicked as to why this is the, the modality that I decided to move into, um, was she, she went through this relaxation process. She was bringing up these memories as I've been describing, and she brought up a memory of, um, me being very young, three or four years old at my granddad's house, being shown a picture of a small plane and being told that he died on it. Um, and from that point forward, I thought planes would have this horrifically dangerous thing that you've got a good chance of dying on. Um, what was most interesting is that wasn't something I consciously remembered. And after the session, so we went through it. She resolved the stress around it. I felt better. I phoned up my mom and I was like, oh, this memory came up. And she said, oh, yeah, you know that happened. That You know, you were about three or four years old. And that was the real aha moment. It's like it brought up a memory that I wasn't consciously aware of that I could then collaborate, like corroborate, saying that word wrong, um, with someone in my family who knew that it was true. And that really blew my mind that there was something holding me back that I wasn't aware of that could be brought up so quickly in a session. So my subconscious knew where the fear was coming from. I just didn't consciously know where the fear was coming from. Um, So from that point, I decided I'd go and learn hypnotherapy as thinking as a hobby. So I went, I found a really comprehensive course, went and did the course, and then just started the idea was really initially just help out friends and family if they've got an anxiety or a fear or something, and it'd be quite a fun thing to do and then have my normal job on the side and then started seeing friends and family, started getting recommendations, started charging. And with anything like this, if you start to get good results, people tell their friends and they tell their friends and my business started building and they reached a stage where it made more sense to become a hypnotherapist than do anything else. And I found it much more fun than any other job I'd done. So I have to break, I have to break that down. I'm, I'm sure there was a lot of stress and anxiety in all of those steps that you just laid out and made it sound really simple. Right. So like, what were you doing for a job at the, actually before that, like, where was the course? How, how would you even find a course? If someone okay, listening to this so, was like, I've done hypnotherapy, it clearly helped me. I want to go do this. Where would, where would someone even start? Um, well, I searched on the internet. Um, I found one, it was a course based in England and I found a substantial course. So one of the things with hypnotherapy, if you do start looking at courses, um, you'll see that they run roughly from a weekend course to a year's course. And the people at the end of both of them call themselves a hypnotherapist. Um, I decided to go and find one that was a year's course because mm. I wanted to make sure I was, I was doing it. I was sort of really well-trained in it as well-trained as you can be in this subject. So so I went and found a course that was local to me, um, did a year's course in it. 
This is something you showed up in person or did you take that one was in person? That was was in, it was a combination of in-person and homework and things like that. So So how do you, how do you learn? Like, obviously you're, you're taking somebody on a guided meditation. We do it, you know, through audio. uh, I think we've done it on video one time, but like, how do you even learn this? Are you practicing on someone? Um, Yeah. So you're practicing there's, I mean, I I believe it's an art, not a science. Um, so you sort of, you, re, you, you learn obviously how to get someone into that trance state and then their subconscious is actually guiding the session more than me because the subconscious, if it's having a very strange, very strong reaction to something, let's say someone, my case was the fear of flying. My subconscious knew exactly why it was scared of flying because if there wasn't a reason for it, I wouldn't have had such a strong response. And it's the same if there's an anger or there's an anxiety, especially, so the bigger the emotions are, the easier it is usually to find the root cause because your subconscious doesn't act that way unless there's a big reason for it. Mm. So it's sort of, you notice very early on in these sessions that as soon as you get someone to bring the emotion up and start talking about the emotion, it will start triggering these memories very quickly. And then you're sort of guiding through and reframing those memories. So the course was a combination of all of the theory, some practice, um, and then also, you know, there's a very comprehensive reading list of, sort of the the traditional books around hypnotherapy and such. And then, I mean, after the course, I then found different hypnotherapy authors who I liked their work and organized one-on-one sessions with them as well, um, just to try and see sort of some of the different directions, some of the different angles, um, people who are already successful in the industry were doing. And I found that useful as, as something, and I recommend that in any industry, um, often it's not actually that hard to speak to authors of books, surprisingly, yeah. if you reach out. Um, and I found that was a good way of filling in any gaps. And so like with anything, you, you need practice though, right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. so, so I would assume my, my mind goes to like massage therapy, right? Those where people are learning on massage therapy, they, they bring in people at reduced rates for you to come practice on. Did, did that kind of go on for you? And then afterwards, was it friends and family who were your guinea pigs per se? Um, so it was a relatively large class, um, and majority through the course, we were working on the other people in the course and then also offering cheap sessions for people like ridiculously cheap sessions, um, for, for people to try on basically. Mm. So by the end of the course, I'd worked with a large number of different people from different areas, different personality types, that sort of thing. So there were a large number of people we'd worked with before we'd reached the stage we were considered qualified. Mm. And so at that, at that point, you still have a job. Where, where were you working at this time? What, what was your, what was your day job? How old were you at this point as well? Oh goodness. Um, I was working in solar energy, um, sourcing land and getting, uh, like, uh, development, like consent for solar energy farms. Okay. A completely different job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. As, almost as far away from it as it could have been. Um, and when I was doing the course, I guess I was 28. I want to be close, close on the year. But yeah, two th- I, I finished the course in 2010, okay. uh, 38 now. Yeah, so 28 years old. Wow. And so uh, you, you graduate from the course. You're still looking for land for solar farms. And you're, you're telling your friends and family, I, hey, I've got this magic gift. Yeah, in the evenings, I'm saying, hey, you know, I can do Do you want to quit smoking? Do you want to lose weight? Do you want to, you've got a scare fear? And again, as soon as you say that you can do, the people's hands come up quickly. Right, I bet. Right? <laughs> you know? But uh, also on the other side too, I would imagine, right? They were like, yeah, sure, you can. I, I would imagine there was a oh. lot of disbelief there. Oh, yeah, there's loads of disbelief. But again, I mean, the skepticism when you say something like hypnotherapy, um, you know, over the years, 
virtually every client I've worked with has started their, their intake call with just so you know, I don't think this is going to work. Um, so, you know, (laughs) it's just, it's just something you get used to in the, in the industry. Um, and you know, everyone's skeptical because of what they've seen on TV. And unfortunately it's a real shame that the hypnosis, the stage hypnosis is called the same thing as hypnotherapy. Mm. Um, you know, the people are making that connection. Um, so yeah, from, from my side, I prefer there were different names and there wasn't such a connection to it, but it is what it is. And I think even within hypnotherapy, there's a difference too, right? Like I've spoken to you about, uh, some of the other names I've seen. I talked to you about possibly having, uh, my fiance get into this and you said that there's a couple different types of hypnotherapy as well, right? Yeah. The, the regression. And then what was the other one? Suggestion. It's suggestion. Yeah. So what's the difference between those two? Cause like, I think the smoking is the suggestion one, right? In most cases, some people use regression, but predominantly it's, it's suggestion. The real difference is, um, suggestion. You're typically listening to the hypnotherapist. Okay. And they're giving you things to visualize. And so, so like my app primed mind that I have is a suggestion hypnotherapy app. So the listener is listening to me, guiding them through a meditation, helping them focus on increasing their energy or helping them get to sleep or reducing stress or anxiety, but it's all visualizations in their mind and it's one way. So it's the hypnotherapist talking at the client. Okay. Um, the difference with the regression, as you'll know from our sessions is the client's probably speaking 80% of the time. I'm speaking 20% of the time. And we're looking to understand the story and the narrative as to where the issues came from and then change and adjust that story so that with neuroplasticity, Mm. um, that the mind deals with it in a different way afterwards. When it comes to my sessions, there's a good 20% chunk of just me crying. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, and that's normal as well for my sessions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's typically, it's very rare that I have any clients who aren't crying in one session or another. Like mm. if they go through, you know, a number of sessions with me, it's quite rare that there's no emotion showed um, because we're hitting the big issues and there's usually a rational emotion attached to it. Sometimes it's rational. Sometimes it's irrational. Um, but as we go through those memories and start to adjust and change them, that emotion's released and that's the pressure coming off that allows the change to happen. So, all right, let's, let's jump back, back to your family and friends, right? So you're helping your, your family and friends, you're convincing them that you're, you know, uh, some sort of magic man, right? Like you're able to help them lose weight, help them quit smoking. What, what were some of the other things that you did back then, like, like that helped people with, and then talk to me about how that, how you transitioned from helping friends and family into actually charging for this service. Um, so it, it would then become sort of wider than just, so it'd be friends of friends. And when it was friends of friends, I started charging. So, you know, I would be doing free sessions for friends and family and then, you know, charging for a friend of a friend who wants to quit smoking or fear of flying or whatever else it might be. And then I started working with just some local people who play golf. So not serious, serious golf, but people who take it seriously at the club, but not Mm. professional level. Um, And they were seeing improvements in their golf scores. So that, you know, and for golfers, they talk to other golfers. So I started to pick up some people um, in that world, um, taking it more seriously. And then the big shift in my business really happened when um, one of in the poker industry and she said, hey, if you're having golfers part, poker players, it costs them millions of dollars if they get stressed at the poker table and start making mistakes. If you can keep them focused 
um, there might be an opportunity there. And I, I didn't know anything about poker. And I um, started advertising, offering free sessions online um, to poker players on forums. And I started picking up poker clients um, for free. They started making more money. Um, in this time, uh, my wife was offered a job in Las Vegas. And um, we moved from England to Las Vegas. And I decided to give hypnotherapy a shot, 100%. Um, so I started working with these poker players. They had success. And again, I started charging in poker and became sort of very, very popular within the poker industry. And then I went to the different UFC gyms that were in Vegas. There were a number of gyms there and um, offered to do free mindset talks and picked up a number of UFC fighters as clients. So then that next stage of my business in Las Vegas, um, I was suddenly working with high stakes poker players and UFC fighters. Mm. And that's, that then is where my business started to really change because in those industries, they have connections with other industries as well. So I was then being recommended to athletes in different sports. I was being recommended to CEOs of companies. I was being recommended to stock traders because in a lot of ways, the skill sets are the same. This and, all sounds know. this all sounds very easy as you're walking through. I'm sure this was a long <laughs> process, right? So talk me through those early moments where like, you had to be scared out of your mind to start talking to big level poker players and, and suggesting that what you could do for them would help them make more money as a poker player, right? And I'm sure they were open to listening, right? Any, any poker player wants to play better poker or make more money, but there had to be some moments in there that were challenging, right? Where you had to you know, step into a room cold and, and explain this. Um, or even the UFC gyms, if, right? If, like walk if, into a room full of big dudes uh, and say, oh, I can help oh, you with your mindset. The crazy thing is, man, I, it, it honestly wasn't really a big deal for me. Um, I, I was really fortunate. Um, I, I, I sort of was brought up in a way, we, we're brought up in an area where we weren't particularly wealthy, um, but it was a wealthy area with lots of celebrities around. So it was normal to see celebrities for me. I mm. used to work, my family, my uncle had a sports shop. I worked in a local sports shop and we'd have, you know, professional golfers, professional soccer players, like people who would be big names in England at the time come in. And it was relatively normal for me to be bumping into people who were considered celebrities. And I've been sort of brought up as in a way of like, everyone's just a person. I think probably my dad was a bit excessively over the top with it that, you know, don't treat people differently. And I was lucky, really, really lucky. And I think it's one of the things that's allowed me to be successful that I genuinely don't treat anyone differently from mm -hmm. the person who cleans my hotel room. I'll speak to them in exactly the same way as a heavyweight boxing champion. Like I genuinely will. Um, and I think that might have been one of the reasons why my business was able to grow, because if I find myself sitting next to someone who's considered really famous, it, I've just been lucky that because of where I was brought up, it, it was just normal for that to happen. And I was just like, oh, it's just another person. So I didn't get the majority, like, I, I really didn't get that anxiety shot that the majority of people have in those moments. Um, I might be underplaying it a little bit, but... It, with the way you're describing it, you know, like going into, let's say Drysdale's gym. Um, it was just like, Oh, there's a UFC gym. They could really do with my, my help. Mm. I wonder if they'll let me do a free talk. And then they said, yes. And and then they said, yes. And I did one. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and well, I, I mean, it's pretty clients. amazing that you're able to put everybody on the same level. And maybe this is just rising up for me. Cause I struggle with it more than most. Right. I, I mm. as I've come up as an entrepreneur, I've always put these people up on pedestals and not necessarily like celebrities, but you know, better marketers than me, the gurus out there, right? I've always put them on a pedestal. Um, and as you get to know them, you realize they're just a person and they're honestly quite flawed. Usually when you get to know them, 
Um, and, and I've told you this to your face. You're one of the only people I've ever gotten to know. Um, and there isn't a lot of, a lot of crap behind the scenes, right? There's not a lot hidden there. Like you just, you are you. So that's pretty amazing that you've had this your whole life, right? And just been able to realize we're all just human. And um, I bet that takes a lot of stress off. But I think it was a weird, it was a weird place to be brought up. So as I say, we weren't particularly wealthy and we're in an area like um, in England where some of the most expensive houses in the whole country are sort of within a five minute walk from our house and we're in a two bedroom cottage and they, you know, they, they, <laughs> there's these enormous mansions all around us. Um, but as I say, because of that, it was just normal and yeah, it, it, it took a lot of the stress off the business growth side. Um, and then moving on in business, you know, a lot of these people will say, hey, you talk to me as if I'm normal. And I say as well, you are, <laughs> um, mm. to, you know, in all of those fronts, because people generally, um, they're very, very successful in one area and they're struggling in a different area. And it's my job to help them with the bits where they're struggling to help them perform better in their area of excellence. Um, so, so yeah, I was lucky that that wasn't something that was overly stressful. I mean, the period of time of, of growth over my company, um, it picked up pretty quickly once the results came for the poker players. So I was busy within a year i i was as busy as i needed to be um with poker and a few fighters and then i'd still pick up some random clients for normal work so you know be it weight loss or quit smoking and things um probably two to three years in it, it was only performance so it was only athletes poker business people and i pretty much dropped any of the normal hypnotherapy work um and then that continued um until more recently and then now it's probably shifting probably more business now than mm. the athletes of the poker and now i'm probably much more business facing um with a few few people doing competitive things you know almost it, it's fun for me to still keep a toe in the game um but it, the direction of my business will certainly be more business people moving forward and entrepreneurs i'm sure how did how did your pricing change going back right i'm sure when you first got in the in the game if you will working with uh with poker players and fighters in the beginning that your pricing was much different than it was today how did how oh. did you change your pricing and 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 what was the the signs where you're like i i should keep increasing this so so yeah this was actually this is one of the key lessons i learned um through the business and probably the biggest mistake that i made um so i was normal pricing for a hypnotherapist for the first probably three or four years um what does normal so, pricing look like? $100, $150 an hour, something like that. Um, and I was, um, yeah, just I was working with a lot of celebrities and I was charging them the normal rates um, that a normal hypnotherapist would be charging for, for anybody. And then my clientele was building and building and I was reaching this situation where I would get booked up for six weeks, every hour for six weeks, and I'd get people complaining that they couldn't book in. Mm. So when that happened, I used to just say, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll increase my rates by $50 and I'll see what happens. And usually that would create some level of space and then that would continue and that continued. So every six months or so I was increasing my rates by 50 bucks. Um, and I think I reached about $350 an hour. Um, and this was a time when I was then known like, for, for working with the most successful poker players in the world. I'd been part of big stories. I'd had a couple of UFC champions. I had a lot of big name coaches working with me, things like that. Um, and I went on a course and everyone else there was a coach and um, the majority of them weren't working with any really well-known names. And I was by far the cheapest coach on the course. Mm. 
And, um, you know, one of the others gave some time to me and she said, look, you're, you're not only damaging yourself here, but I was working crazy hours. I was working like some days I'd do 10 sessions in a day. So, you know, I was working, she was saying, you know, you're burning yourself out because you're so popular, but you're not charging enough to actually offer the service you could be charging if you were, if you were more premium, um, because you're getting too exhausted. Um, so she pushed me, I had a number of my clients asking to pay more because they felt it was wrong that they were having that success and, mm. and not charging. I wasn't charging enough. Um, my business partner had been pushing me for about a year and a half to increase my prices. Um, and then I, I made a substantial increase after that course. Um, and I, I moved to, I think at the time, $1,500 an hour. Um, and it didn't really dramatically affect you know i i obviously cut down my number of clients but not significantly i kept a large number of my clients and since then um i'm now at a stage where i charge twenty thousand for 10 sessions um and and i'm still busy and i think really it was a huge lesson for me that you need to be charging for value so the value that the other person is getting not just the hours that you're spending so you know i've taken many people from you know, having five figures in their bank account to having seven figures in their bank account. And it's quite rare that coaches can actually show a large number of people where they can actually demonstrate that level of success. Mm. Um, and because I can, um, it's now a stage where I need to charge that level. And and it really was a, it was a huge moment when I started understanding that it's it's quite important for the quality of service as well because there are people you know there's some poker players i work with who play with a million dollars on the table every week and they want to be able to do a session with me every week before they play because they're a million dollars and you know at, at one stage i could say hey I have another session in six weeks time for you because i'm just fully booked and it didn't work for those people and now that's the that's the area that i'm really focusing on mm. yeah i mean I, when i first met you i'll be honest right like uh I, I joined a mastermind thinking I was going to go learn marketing and, and I show up to meet you who, uh, who called me out of the room and, uh, and I've interviewed Kayvon as well. And we kind of talked about this on our podcast. You called, you called both of us out of the room, uh, mm -hmm. and started talking about our problems. And then when it came time to like, I need to work with this guy, uh, you said 1500 bucks and you were like, and I want you to sign up for 10 sessions. And I was, I was kind of blown away at the time. I was, it, it didn't click for me. Right. And, and one yeah. thing you, you really worked on me and talked to me about was like the value you create, right? Like if you help me with any of these unlocks or even the poker players is a good reference, right? You help them with some unlocks and all of a sudden they become, you know, they win a big tournament or, um, you know, they have a, a great stretch of cash games. That $1,500 is nothing in the end, right? It, you're unlocking so much value in someone. And, um, what I, I want to transition to a little bit into like, um, the belief systems that, that some, uh, some of these folks that you talk to, right. And you don't need to name names, but like you've worked with some of the, some of the biggest people in the industry. Right. And so when I like, I'll relate it to me, I walk into a business, um, and I can see in someone's Google ads or SEO quite easily what's wrong, right. Just, mm. just immediately can see what's wrong. So I would assume you have the same superpower when it comes to people's fears and, and happinesses. Right. So like, what are, what are some of the common you know, belief systems or, or fears that you see in people that you're addressing often? Um, well, fear of failure and fear of success, just general, generally are huge and they show up in almost every client, um, in almost every person. So there's usually something holding someone back and they, they reach a level 
where then that fear of failure or fear of success kicks in. So for some people, that's making $2,000 a month. And for other people, it's making $50,000 a month. Um, but there is a level typically where it starts to kick in and we start sabotaging ourselves. Um, Can you provide an example of that? Help help the listener understand what, what does that mean to have, you know, let's say you hit 2000 a month. Let's just say that's the level. And then you have a fear of failure or success. Like a, an example of each would be awesome. Yeah. So an example would be, um, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give a figure that, that comes up really frequently for me. So for a poker player, it'd be a hundred thousand dollar bankroll. And they notice that they've been playing for three years and they had a hundred thousand dollar bankroll three years ago and they still have a hundred thousand dollar bankroll. Mm. And they notice that they either go to 120 and then they bring it back down or they go down to 80 and then they bring it back up to a hundred thousand, but there's no growth. And then when we start to talk about their family history, their friends, you know, the friends, the money their friends are earning, we start seeing oftentimes that they're keeping themselves within their social circle in their position they're comfortable with. So if they suddenly double, triple, quadruple their money, it's going to feel strange for them when they go to the restaurant and who pays for the bill. Or when they talk to their dad, who's always been proud that he makes $60,000 a year, and they tell their dad that they made $250,000, it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. Mm. And as we do the sessions, we see these things come up where people are keeping themselves in their comfort zone within their peer group. And they're subconsciously doing, they're not consciously gambling away their money over a hundred thousand, but you can see this theme where they say, Hey, I keep finding myself at the blackjack table. When I get this extra money, I'm taking shots. But really what they're doing is they're just grinding their money away Mm. so that they can stay in this safety zone where they know where they fit. Their friends know where they fit. Um, Because as you progress and if you start making a lot more money, it can get lonely. And you know, it's a real fear because it, it does happen to people that as you become more and more successful, some people will resent it and some people will struggle with it. Not everyone around you will be happy that you're more successful. Um, so that's a big fear that I'm working with, with lots of clients, you know, from entrepreneurs to poker players, you know, and we even, even, even with athletes, they can find themselves holding themselves at a certain level where it's comfortable and they're not taking too, what they consider too much of a risk. Um, another thing that I see as a, as a major flaw in many, many people is they set their mind on monetary targets with the belief that if they hit them, they'll be happy. Mm. So a lot of my work is around improving success. And as you improve, if you get rid of these blockages and you start working through the different issues, they typically, it's normal for my clients to have more successful years. That's just something that tends to happen when they work with me. However, when you reach the certain goal, so let's say your goal is $5 million or $6 million or $10 million or whatever it would be, it doesn't solve all of the problems. You know, that isn't actually the fix. The fix is the journey, being happy along the way and finding what you, what actually brings you fulfillment in life. So that's something that I've seen with a lot of clients and, you know, I'll get people who come to me who are very, very wealthy and they're sort of saying, Hey, but my target is I need to hit the next level. And I'll ask them why, Um, you know, once you have a, a very large amount of money, life doesn't really change if you make more, Life changes if you solve some of the background issues. So those things come up, focus issues, procrastination, not being willing to put in the effort, um, giving your ego an excuse to not hit the highest levels. So really, you know, you know what to do, but you choose not to do it. And then you can use the excuse of, well, if I had tried, I would have been successful, but Mm -hmm. I chose not to try. Um, So those are the sorts of things that are coming up. But usually it's like, 
we can see this theme. So in my initial intake, as I'm talking to the client, usually these themes will start to show themselves. And as we start working through the themes, it becomes very obvious where the fear of failure, where the fear of success, where the anxieties are. And then we just go down those routes and and try and unblock as much of it as possible. So when you say like uh, the, when we get there thing, right. I know that's something that drove me in the beginning, right? So Mm -hmm. I I realize it's not something that, I want to carry with me a long time. Actually, I think you call you called this out the first time I ever met you. Um, that's that chip on the shoulder is what got me started. Right, I was driving away from pain. I was pushing away from that. Like I knew there had to be a better way. Right, and so I knew I needed to get to a certain level in order to at least alleviate the pain of needing a job, of like wondering whether I'm going to meet bills every week, like wondering whether I'm ever going to be able to buy a house, things like that. So, what does that transition look like? Obviously, you're working with some high level people who have much, much bigger goals. But in the beginning, I feel like that chip on the shoulder is, is necessary, at least in the beginning, right? And so how do you make that transition oh. from from knowing it's there, knowing it, it served its purpose to moving forward into what you just talked about, about enjoying the journey and being happy along the way? I, and I, th- I think almost it's the success of that function early on in the process that makes it hard to drop it. Mm. So, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, they'll notice that, hey, I had this chip on my shoulder, I needed to make this, I I wanted to get rid of the fear of how do I pay the bills at the end of the month, how do I put food in the fridge for the kids, those sorts of things. Um, And when, you know, when you reach that first stage, life is dramatically more comfortable than it was before, and it feels like a huge success. So you go from being under pressure the whole time, to suddenly realizing, wow, life is different, because I have made double the money I was making before. Um, the thing that I, I think then starts to sometimes kick in is, well, if I made double the money again, I'm going to feel that much better again mm. and that much better again. So you've sort of learned this program where it was successful um, and then, you, you know, you're trying to repeat that process over and over. That makes a lot of and, sense. And the truth is that, you know, the second time around, it's different because there's no longer the pressures that you're removing. And really all you're doing is optimizing and, and people reach a stage where realistically the only difference it makes in their life is whether they have a private jet or not. Mm. Um, and you know, it's not going to really change that much. It's just another mode of transport. Um, and, but you know, as you're going the whole way across, it's this have it, I think it's important, important to have an idea of what you want out of life. So if you want a nice house and you want to have nice vacations, all of those things, it's absolutely fine to have that as a long-term target. But don't think that owning a a particular house will solve all of the issues. You'll just be moving to the house with those issues. Really, you want to find out what brings me joy, what makes me feel happy, what makes me healthy, what improves my relationships, because they're the sustainable things that will will bring true happiness through your life. And generally, as people improve their health, their relationships, their happiness, their, their joy in what they're doing, that also leads to more money anyway. Mm. So, so by making the joy of the process a goal, it actually, in in many cases, solves the money issues, um, but also solves a lot of the problems that you were probably trying to get the money for in the first place. Does that make sense? As a yeah, I mean, I can I can relate it to myself, right? So initially, I was pushing as as far away from pain as I could. I I, I still keep the note I wrote 
on a bathroom break at the Walmart distribution center in my phone. Like I, I remember just being so fed up with life, like that something had to be different. Right. And I pushed really hard away from that. And I was told, you know, you'll never be this or you'll never be that. Right. And that was the chip on my shoulder that got me to a certain level where it was like, I don't want to say money didn't matter anymore, but it wasn't the same, right? The bills were yeah. paid. Everything was taken care of. Um, I was pretty happy. I didn't need to think about where, you know, how I'm going to pay this bill or how I'm going to pay that bill. Right. I was out of debt. Everything was taken care of. Right. And then the next level, um, you know, I, I, I helped the company grow from one to 11 million in two and a half years. Right. And had a, and a, had a big exit just recently. And I told you on a recent call, like there's a void there still, right? Like I'm still what now, right? <laughs> like the happiness was very short lived and it's more like, what's the next goal? What's the next goal? And so I, I began talking to you about, you know, you work with, again, these amazing people, right? And you see into those fears that we just talked about, you must see into their happiness, right? And so help me understand the people you're working with that, that have all the niceties, right? Like you work with some people with very, very large amounts of money. What are they, like, where is, where does the happiness lie at that moment, right? Obviously, we're not chasing those big goals anymore. Um, what, are, what are their habits they do every day for happiness? What are, what are the relationships they build for happiness? So some of the themes that I've seen just in successful people in general is nearly all of them look after their health. So that's like, I, I don't think I work with anyone who is really, really, really successful who, you know, they, they typically, they're all going to the gym, they have a trainer, they, they're aware of their diet. If not following some kind of diet, they're aware of their sleep. Typically they have a meditation practice. These are the ones who are happiest. Um, and a lot of the time when we're doing sessions, their focus is on improving their relationships with their family, their significant other, mm. and with their staff. And trying to have like a good group of people with high quality, healthy relationships around them. Um, and they're the things I see the most successful people really focusing in on. And then, you know, every now and again, some stress will come up around work or anxiety or what have you. But I think the sort of the the getting relationships right, getting health right, getting sleep right, um, setting time aside for self care. So obviously, if they're working with me, they're interested in self care anyway. But it's not rare for them to have other coaches. It's not rare for them to have a masseuse who they see, you know, once a week, once every other week. It, it, you sort of go through all of the things these people are doing to try and make sure they're as optimal as possible. And then it sort of makes sense as to why they're successful and they're living a happy life because they've optimized for being in the best state that they can be in. Um, and it, it's just quite rational. And, you know, from my side, obviously I'm lucky enough to talk to a lot of these people. I've copied most of that. Mm. So for me personally, you know, I work out with a personal trainer. I go to a place where they do stretching twice a week. I have a massage once a week. Um, I talk to my own coach every two weeks. I've done that for the last seven or eight years now. Um, so I, I, I believe that, you know, success leaves clues. And what I see in the majority of the very successful people is this same theme of self-care is very, very important. And relationships are incredibly important. It's very rare to meet very happy, lonely people. Yeah, I would imagine seeing it every time you get on a call, that has to have an enormous effect on, on you personally, right? Like uh, with the habits that, I mean, that you create, like I would, uh, obviously we're all dealing with the same thing. You're a human too, Elliot, right? So you oh, have yeah. your own limiting beliefs, right? How does, how does helping the one percenters, if you will, get through their limiting beliefs, help you get through yours, right? Obviously I've talked to you before, you have your own hypnotherapist, but like mm. does, does doing this, does helping other people help, help yourself as well? 
I think it does. Um, definitely it shows patterns. So obviously sometimes I can recognize a, a negative pattern someone mentions. You know, sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I can see myself doing that as well. That was a blind spot for me. So so that definitely comes up. The I think I think this idea of the, the self-care has probably been one of the major ones. And the seeing a number of people who I'd worked with for a decent amount of years um, hit all of the targets that they wanted to hit and then say, hey, what really matters? Now I've made all the money. I've had all of the success. I've been number one in the world. What really matters is relationships and enjoying each day really made me focus on, from my side, my relationships and trying to enjoy each day at work. Because realistically, um, I can skip having the crazy financial success and just go to the bit afterwards <laughs> because I've seen that that's what they all want afterwards. Right. So, you know, uh, for me, um, I really love doing my job. I, you know, I've, I've said it many times and I believe it to be true. Um, if I won the lottery for $100 million, I would be doing sessions for free every week like i would be doing free sessions because i love doing my job mm. and i think if you can find something that you really really enjoy spending hours doing and then sort of try and try and master something as well i, I think so much joy comes from trying to be the best at something in my case i want to be the best coach in the world i want to be the best i can possibly be and um that's a fun project for me, which I see as a project I'll probably finish in my seventies if I'm healthy enough hmm. and you know, I'll continue doing it. And if money's I'll, I'll do it for free. And I would say, if you can find a job that you can do it for free and you try and be the best, then probably the financial success comes anyway with that, but you don't need to focus on it or really think about it because you're getting your joy anyway. Look, that's what this show is all about. Honestly, like I'm just pulling up a, a website that's not quite live yet. That's like whatever you love to do, you can make a business out of it, right? I want to interview entrepreneurs who do what they love and live the life they've always dreamed of. I, I, I know plenty of people that I have on my hopefully to interview uh, list that are doing some things you would never even imagine of, right? And so you're a perfect example of like doing what you love and, and whether you were paid or not, you continue doing this. But what, what advice do you have for someone out there who just doesn't know what that is? Like I have a thought experiment I usually give to people that's, uh, let's say you won the lottery, like all the money you could ever dream of. You won that. Now you've traveled the world. You've built the houses. You have the car. You have everything you ever wanted. What would you do every single day? Um, and it usually makes people pause and just, oh shit, what, what would I do every day, <laughs> right? And so what advice do you have for people trying to figure out you know, what is that one thing that, that would bring them true happiness because i know you can monetize anything i would say look at what you find yourself spending time doing anyway so i mean i had an interesting one from this so i've got a weird job and my brother's also got a weird job my brother's got a tattoo studio okay back in england and he did an art degree an art and fashion degree um and trying to get jobs in that is unbelievably difficult um, he took his skill. He was used to like drawing pictures. Obviously, that was like what he his thing was. Became a tattooist and basically built an industry out of drawing on people. You know, that's his his business now is is doing really really well, and he's doing what he loves every day. From taking his hobby to okay, how can I monetize this hobby? And I would say, you know, if you find that you love baking cakes, there's a business there to make wedding cakes. If you're the best wedding cake maker. Mm. Um, so I would just look at your current hobbies, see what you enjoy, or at least the theme of what you enjoy. So, you know, he hadn't thought about tattoos, but he liked drawing. 
So what withdrawing has a chance to monetize? Um, and then just work out turning what you love into, yeah, into a career is usually the easiest way because the hours don't feel like hours. As I say, for me, um, sometimes I go through phases of working very long hours. It doesn't really feel like I'm working because I'm enjoying going through this process with people. Or if I'm reading about it, I don't mind because it's something I find interesting reading about or, you know, you know those sorts of things. I think that's probably a good clue. Can you read about it? And rather than be bored, be excited and interested. Yeah. And there's many ways to monetize things too, right? Like my brain immediately goes to someone questioning, well, yeah, well, I love, I love, you know, X, X, Y, or Z, but how do I monetize that? Right. And so, you know, between podcasts or physical products or digital products or, uh, you know, t-shirts or there's so many different things that you could, you could sell to monetize it that, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it took a while for me to even know what that was. I, I, I wish there was an unlock I could give to people to help them find that, right? I didn't find out really what I enjoyed doing until I was 30. I didn't even really understand business until then. And once I got it, I was like, oh, this is my toy, right? Like, I just really enjoy it. But you said until you're 30, I don't think anyone really knows. I I think there's this, I think everyone feels they need to be somewhere by the time they're 30. And I know very few people who genuinely are. Success from Mm. what I've seen, it's usually like late 30s, 40s, even 50s when people are really hitting their stride in their industry you know that's when they're they're doing their best work so i would also say to if you're out there and you're 22 and you're listening to this just experience lots of things go to meetups and just try every different meetup from stargazing to cookery (laughs) to dancing like just try as many things as possible because there is no rush you don't need to be in a certain place by 30 years old probably you won't be in most cases Mm. um yeah, because I think that's a stressful 28 and 29 is a couple of years where a lot of people come to me really stressed, worried that they've failed in some way. And the truth of it is that most people are struggling at that point of their life. Hmm. Well, I, for me, at least, a lot of it had to do with I want like instant gratification too, right? It took a long time for me to learn the long game. Like at, at 30, I assumed I should be somewhere. And if I'm not there, then I should be able to do something very quickly and be there. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, not turning 36 this summer and I'm still not where I'd like to be. I, I Obviously, I have some big aspirations of, uh, of of possibly owning a major league baseball team, right? And so, um, yeah, but he, even those first steps, the, everything seems scary. So like that transitions me right into my next questions I had for you was like, um, I'm happy to be transparent. I think I, if I remember correctly, I brought up one of the, one of my sessions with you in a different call. I think it was with my friend Bri. Um, and, and I'm happy to be transparent with my own experience with you. Uh, you've, you've taken me back to some memories. I don't recall whatsoever, uh, as you've stated before, but I'd love to know, like, what are the unlocks that, that we've already worked on? And then, beyond that what are the next set of unlocks that obviously you've worked with a lot of people you can probably read me like a book right now and just say like i i know exactly what we have already worked on and i already know where we're going uh, and to be transparent I, I bought 10 sessions from elliot uh, i've already done four with him i've got nine more to do with him um and i couldn't be more excited right I'm, I'm seeing progress every time i work with him um and so i'm i'm curious what you have to say here so yeah as we were going through the sessions um there were, there were really the first big unlock that we're looking at is unlocking self-worth issues. So really starting to understand and accept your value. And when we bring up those memories, as you'll probably remember, um, it starts to get very emotional as people realize how they truly see their own self-worth and how they've been living their life through it. 
So, I mean, what was the experience like for you working through, through the self-worth? Yeah, I think that's the one that I've brought up before, which was like just a memory back when I'm like three years old. Like uh, I grew up relatively poor. I don't want to say super poor, but relatively poor. Um, and, and again, it's not like you bring me back. Like I'm, you know, transported through time to a memory, but I, I remember the visuals. I remember the room. Uh, it's more like a still frame image in my head, but it was somebody, no idea who asked me what I want to be when I grow up. And I, and I don't even remember my answer. Honestly, it could have been a dinosaur for all I know. Um, but I remember my grandma saying, you'll never be that right. Like we were Kanaganorfs were poor, right? I just remember her always saying that she always told me we couldn't afford to go to college. We couldn't afford to do X, Y, or Z. Um, and for that call specifically, you just made me go back and look at like, where, where was I in life? Where, where was my grandma specifically, who was just like recently divorced. There's a whole lot more surrounding that, that subject of how the divorce went down. That was awful for her. Um, she didn't have a job at the time. Like she was poor, right? She grew up, uh, even raising my dad, they had an outhouse until he was like 13, right? Like they didn't have running water. Um, and so like her vision of reality, her, what the world she lived in was much different than me as a three-year-old envisioned where I could go. Right. Let alone the world was changing massively in, in the late eighties and into the nineties of, of like what was possible. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, you took me back to that memory and really just made me look at it through adult eyes. Right. What does that look like now as a you know 35 year old, 34, whenever I talk to you about that, um, that was huge, right? Just huge to look at that memory. And let alone, there was many, 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 many more that I do remember. I don't remember that one, but I do remember a bunch more of, of having that negative self-talk in my life. And, and the issue is that when we're that sort of age, we start building the program of how we see ourselves and what that means for our life. And when you start putting these programs in place, you know, you'll hear that you know, people will say they'll hear the voice, you know, I can't do that. That's not for me. That's not mm. for my family. We're poor people. So you've labeled yourself. Um, and you've done that by taking the information from somebody who probably you wouldn't take the advice from today. Mm. And that's one of the really important things when we look back at those childhood memories. So it's, it's oftentimes, you know, people have shifted their whole view of who they are because of what a teacher has said to them or because of what another eight-year-old has said to them or what their dad who was struggling with depression at the time has said to them. And one of the techniques I'll use is like, okay, so have a look at this memory again. If you were talking to this person today, how seriously would you take their advice on your business? And in nearly every instance, you're going to say, there's no way I would take this person's advice. But the truth is you've been following a program you created at the time, continuing to take that person's advice for perhaps the last 20 years. Mm. And that's really important to start to shift and unblock those because if you start making those unblocks and you say, well, wait a minute, I am allowed to be successful. There isn't really anything holding me back. This was just someone, this was an adult struggling that day who lashed out at a child and it's a shame the adult did that, but it's not really their fault either. They weren't really looking to set me up for life in a system of failure. Mm. They were just lashing out because they were having a bad day and they were struggling. And as you start to reframe this and see the memory in a new way, that, that becomes the new way that you view the memory. By, by changing the memory, then the triggers are no longer there because what was being triggered in the background doesn't really exist in the same way because we've seen it through new eyes, through adult eyes. And that's a big way of how this process works. Mm. I mean, you can see it rain true in, in other parts of my life too, just, just from this memory, right? I didn't really know 
what life could be. I, I, I built my own box, right? I think we've all built our own box, but my own box was, this is what life can be, right? I, my dad was a factory worker. My mom was a CNA. Um, mm. And quickly in my mid twenties, I was married working at a factory and married to a CNA, right? And I just assumed this is what as good as it got, right? Uh, and I even made it to the beloved first shift at the factory. And I was like, I made it, right? And I remember that moment where I looked around and was like, oh, oh shit. Like this is as good as life gets and all these people look really unhappy, right? And so uh, it's amazing how we build these boxes and, and you know, build them in childhood. I, I, it, it baffles me, right? It brings me back to that to, to the story of the elephant. The baby elephant is, is tied up around their foot and a big stake is driven into the ground, right? And uh, as they get older into these massive elephants that could clearly pull the stake out of the ground, they've been conditioned to believe they can never pull it out, right? They tugged yeah. and tugged as a baby and so now as an adult, they don't even try. They just get tied up by a, a tiny little rope. Uh, and they don't get pulled out of it. So, look, you brought me back to the I'm not good enough belief. But I, I'd love to know, like, are there other beliefs that we've worked on? Like, just in general themes. And then, like, you probably are able to read me again better than anybody else. What are what are some themes that are that are obvious that, that I need to work on? And, and likely, you know, most people have these similar issues. Um, well, I think it's the um, this, this sort of prescribing yourself um with this is how life is going to be mm. um obviously we've described health stuff that we're hitting really hard mm. i believe there is going to be a time when you have a true acceptance that i can be a healthy person and there's going to be an unlock in the same way that suddenly everything becomes incredibly easy on that front so i think that's one of the unlocks that we're looking to have um another one another thing that we've covered is the asking for help and that actually not being a bad thing seeing that as a positive rather than seeing it as something that is, I mean, you were seeing it not only as it's a negative to ask for help, but almost it's, it's sort of a, a really painful thing to do. Yeah, it's a burden, yeah. a burden for other people. Um, and that's an enormous unlock that, that we're working on at the moment. And then moving forward in terms of where I'm looking to go with this, um, really, again, it sort of goes a bit back to what I was discussing earlier, this where do I truly derive the most joy and happiness mm. out of my life and out of my businesses? And how do we create a world for you where you're doing things that you enjoy? They're making you lots of money, um, but you're also making time for the other important things in your life that will allow for true life balance. And when you have that life balance, you perform better at work and have more success as well. So this sort of creation of a, hey, Ben, you're not happy when you get to goal whatever, you're happy all the way to that goal because we've got your life in the right place because you're in a position now where there's no reason for you to be unhappy at any point towards that goal. Um, it should be an enjoyable journey forward and we see where you end up mm. rather than a, I can save my true joy for this date in the future. And like you say, with the shifts, you know, those days come where you think something's going to solve everything. You've got the, the, the first shift in the, in the factory and you go, oh, I got here and it wasn't everything it was you yeah. know, to be. Um, if you've enjoyed every day, it doesn't matter. And and that's that's what I like to see. I see that as a development of most of the people I'm, I'm looking for to sort of reach is um, how can they enjoy their life the most and how does that joy then lead them to have the most success they can possibly have? And mm -hmm. I, I see those as things that work together rather than work against one another. I definitely see that pattern you just brought up, right? So uh, the factory thing, right? I finally made it to first shift and I look around at these miserable people that have been there 20 years um, and it wasn't everything it, it was cracked up to be, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I can remember 
uh, I sold, I want to say it was my second business I sold and, and I paid off all the debt and I was so thrilled. I had made it right. I paid off all my debt and we was in, a, I was in a really good place and my wife asked me for a divorce like two days later. And I was like, Oh fuck, what? Like everything else wasn't like working right. Right. And then even this last one, I had a big exit and uh, now I feel like a void there of like, what now? Right. Like I, it, I see that pattern of, I'm still trying to get to that next thing. Cause then I'll be happy. Right. And I think what you've shifted to me is, is realizing that no matter where I get, even if it's, I'm the owner of the Minnesota twins, there's still going to be ups and downs and like things aren't going to be perfect. Right. And so, um, trying to change the way I visualize things is something I've been working on lately of, of like visualize when I'm there, but also, you know, what are the stressors that are there? Not just the good things, right? There's not just all of a sudden I'm going to get there and all my problems will go away, right? It'll just be different sets of problems and really trying to visualize those moments has uh, kind of normalized things for me. And, and also see like, how can I visualize today? What can make today the best day it can possibly be? Mm. So the present moment, how can we make sure that we enjoy this conversation as much as we possibly can, how you can enjoy your afternoon, how you can feel today that you've done what you needed to do in the day and you can feel good about yourself and what's an amount of work that makes you feel good and what's an amount of work that's too much or too little. Um, so all of that smaller planning, I think, can lead to a life that's not only more successful, but more comfortable and you know, sort of more whole rather than a you know the the true over focus on finances that most people have um again you know it, i see a lot of financial success in people but the ones who are really happy and you would say are winning at life um are the ones who have the balance as well and the good relationships mm. i feel as we all we've all built our own boxes right mine might be different than than johnny who's listening or sally who's listening but we've all built our own boxes and and so there has to be more Elliot Rose out there and certainly more affordable Elliot Rose out yeah, there. Like I'm, I'm happy to pay your, your fees as it's clearly making a shift in me, but where, where could the listener go find somebody specifically for this regression type of hypnotherapy? Um, I've, I've trained up a couple of people now. So I have some people that I've trained. If people want to reach out to me um, on elliotrow.com and uh, we can sort of pass you over and, and get you some details that they're, they're, they're a lot cheaper than me. They're closer to the normal rates of hypnotherapy. Um, and then if you are looking for one in your local area, all of my works via Skype and, and the people I've trained, there's all via Skype as well. Cool. But if you're looking to see someone in person, um, just look up, you know, local hypnotherapists and just make sure that it's therapy and so talk to them and ask them what sort of course done. Um, so how they've got qualified and really just look at the, the length of course. Um, so have they done something six months to a year rather than a weekend course in hypnotherapy? Um, and then obviously um, look at reviews and how long they've been in business for. I mean, I would guess I've probably done, it has to be over 12,000 hours of hypnotherapy now with clients, which, you know, that's extreme. I would guess most hypnotherapists, it's going to be somewhere between, three and 5,000 hours that they've done. But if they've done a couple of hundred hours and they haven't done a very comprehensive course, um, then probably you should look for someone with a bit more experience. Mm. And I know there's probably people listening who are, are, you know, at my level per se, right. And, and they would find value in working with you is elliotrow.com the best place to reach you for that. Yeah. So if you just go to elliotrow.com um, and there's an application form and we'll do a free consultation and we'll see if I'm the right person for you, or if maybe I can recommend somebody else for you to work with. So we can set all of that up. Nice. Uh, so I want to shift gears more into like the business side of this thing. Right. And so you have one-on-one -on -one consultations, you, you 
set up these packages of 10, which I'm happily a part of, but you have some other things too. And so I'd love to talk through a little bit of the business side of how you've shifted from just doing one-on-ones and helping poker players and helping UFC fighters and entrepreneurs and actresses uh, into more, like I'm a part of your mastermind as one of the examples. You have the Prime Mind app. I think you have some courses out there. Can you talk me through how you went from one-on-one work into one-on-many work and, and what that looks like? Okay, so um, early on, I I realized there was a market for hypnotherapy MP3s, um, specifically in that poker market that I was discussing. So it's issues that were coming up regularly with players. I would make an MP3 on the issue. And although we couldn't do any of the deeper work, I could make these suggestion MP3s, these audios that they could listen to before they played or to help them get to sleep or or whatever else it would be. Um, We then turned those MP3s and and we built uh, an app which is on, it's called Prime Mind. It's on iTunes and or the App Store and Google Play. Um, and that has around two, I think around 250 of these audios, something like that, covering everything from sport and fitness, stress, growth mindset, um, sleep. So, so that was one product, which was a really obvious product for us to make um, because there was a demand for the for the product and then we made it we went into business we built this app um and that's been something that's fun and we have we have around i think two hundred and thirty thousand users at the moment wow um so that's been yeah that's been really really substantial so that's been that was sort of one of the starting points um i started running a um a poker mindset academy initially so we had a subscription academy where i create video content and i do live q a's weekly um or for for a monthly payment and doing that a few years ago um and we decided to turn that into a course and sell it as a course and i still do some q a's once a month but we don't produce new content for the course um that it was something we'd learn is the um the churn rate on a monthly program was was a bit too much mm. and um it, it, once you've built out all of the foundations and you start reaching a little bit for content and i wanted to make sure that i wasn't feeling that there wasn't much more to teach um so i found that was that was a good move that we made is to turn into a fixed video course that we sell um with it still has a community um but they they sort of buy the video course they have the community and then i'm available once a month for q a's for them um recently launched a a lifestyle course limitless lifestyle um which is a a mindset course um help people in different areas of their life goal setting overcoming these sorts of issues we've been discussing um we're running that as a beta at the moment and that's been pretty successful and one of the things we've done to make that course a bit more exciting and, and different to everything else in the market is we sell it as a course but then it also comes with six hypnotherapy sessions with one of the people that i've trained up so as they're going through the course, the deeper work, which I believe has to be done, I, I believe you need to be working through your issues with a professional if you really want to change the programming. Um, we included that in the course. So they get these sessions with the Q&A calls with me. We have accountability calls. And then we have the course itself. And then sessions with a hypnotherapist to help work through any of the deeper issues. Is um, that the thing we worked on the first day of the mastermind the last time? Day, Exactly. That was one okay. part. That's the first piece of that. Okay. Um, so, so you've seen some of the content there. It was interesting um, going through that, having to rate yourself. That's that's what I remember the, the most. Areas. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Of like you know, <laughs> past, present, and future things, and then giving yourself a score. And um, I, I remember the colors, and I remember uh, a lot of red on my sheet. 
the areas and and most people you know you really show really shows areas you need to be working on mm. um when you go through those sorts of processes and we're, we're putting together the foundations for people to be able to do a lot of that work and then you, the, the real the realistic next step of my business is i can only see so many clients and i have to be training people up and sort of passing the philosophies that i use in my sessions on to other people so that we can impact a larger audience so moving into these sorts of directions where i'm teaching all of the content through videos and then i have other people doing the hypnotherapy makes it much more price appropriate for a wider market um and i just don't reach a stage where it's just impossible for me to take on new clients because it's always a risk when when you're one person you know running a coaching business that you do have a number of hours that you can actually work. And then finally we have the mastermind that you're a part of, um, that, that we do, you know, a couple of live events a year and monthly calls. And I, I think that's all the, all the current businesses. <laughs> if you don't mind me asking when you do the other model where you're training coaches, is that something where you're charging them a large amount training them and then they can go off on their own? Is that something you're training people to bring in house and say, you are, you know, Elliot Rowe certified and, and people would book on Elliot Rowe and then you would, you know, hand them off. So, so what I, what I look to do is um, we, I, I find qualified hypnotherapists. So people who've already gone through one of the comprehensive courses that I'm discussing. So I don't train someone to be a hypnotherapist. Mm. I train hypnotherapists in my style of hypnotherapy, which is a little bit different from what's taught. Um, so obviously I specialize in performance and I've done these, you know, huge number of hours, thousands and thousands of hours on a very specific subset. Um, so I teach them my process of working with high performance after they're already qualified. Um, and then we take them on, um, we provide them with leads, and we we charge a percentage of the money that they bring in from the leads that we um, that we provide for them. Um, and then we also, um, with the course, obviously we pay them an amount per hour for the course that they for, for these sessions that they do. So that's the business model that we're running currently there. So the the limitless life blueprint that's in beta is that something that's going to be meant more for the masses? Is it directed at a certain group of people like poker players or at entrepreneurs? No. So this is more for the masses. Well, entrepreneurs. Okay. More. So I would I would guess the majority of people are going to be entrepreneurs who go into that course. So not really poker specific or not poker specific at all. More business and entrepreneur specific. Um, looking to hit more of a mass market with it and. Um, it, it will be interesting to see how that takes over the next um, year or so. As I say, we're running the beta. It's, it's not going to be ready for full launch, I would guess, until around January um, when we have everything in place. But by then, we should have a very comprehensive course and a lot of reviews and testimonials from people who've gone through the beta. And then we'll have an idea of where we're at in terms of pricing and things. And talk to me a little bit about like the team you have around you. Obviously, I know Ryan uh, pretty well. He seems like he does a whole lot of everything. Uh, obviously, he helps you out a lot. I can see on your face right now. You're like, oh, man, I'm glad I have Ryan. Uh, but like, what else is on your team? And, and talk to me about Ryan, if you will. Like, uh, You have a lot going on, right? And so how do you manage it all? Um, I, I've been really lucky. Um, so Ryan was um, Ryan was an early client of mine in poker. Um, and I worked with him for around a month. And he won seven hundred thousand dollars over that month, um, and was he was blown away by how much of an impact the hypnotherapy had had on him. And um, he came to me and he said, "Look, um, I really think you have something here that could be turned into not just a huge product, but you can impact a lot of people. You can change a lot of lives. I want to help you do it. Can I take over the marketing side of your business um, and running the business, which I'm not good at?" Um, 
and you do all of the coaching and you know we'll get you doing interviews and content and those sorts of things but i'll do all of the background stuff and worry about the accounts the finances the marketing the the strategy for the business over the next few years um and he took that he took that on and has done a just an incredible job and you know for coaches out there i i don't believe i could be anywhere near where i am today if he hadn't been a part of the business um it just wouldn't have been possible because of the number of hours working you know working in the business i could have never worked on the business basically so i'm sure i would be exceptionally busy i would have been incredibly busy at a lower price point and i'd have no products if it wasn't for run or i'd have a few mp3s for sale but my business would have a completely different shape and in terms of team it's really um mainly me and him and and then we pay people for um you know vas and things um to do other jobs for us so that's that's the majority but really it's just me and ryan running this business primed mind we base out of vienna um we had that up and we have a few staff over there dealing, but that's specifically Prime Mind, no other part of the business um, for the app. Um, and then that's, that's it really. Every, everyone else is remote and we just bring them on for, for different projects. Well, it's incredible what you've accomplished. I know you can't name names, but you truly, truly work with some of the absolute best poker players in the world. Uh, I know s- some of the UFC fighters you may or may not have worked with and like they're UFC champions and legit. Right. And so I would just assume in the other areas, the entrepreneurs um, and, and the actors and actresses and like you truly, truly work with the 1%. And it, and it speaks a lot about what you do that. I, I don't think you have an acquisition funnel if I'm wrong. Right. Like uh, I'm happy to go tell the world about you because of the difference you've made in my life. So I would assume that's, that makes your acquisition super easy. It, it makes it easy. I mean, obviously there's, there's sticker shock um, that most people have if they haven't spoken to me. Um, but we're in a situation where advertising doesn't really work for this. So if someone sees a cold Facebook advert, you know, come and do hypnotherapy. And then with the pricing uh, as it is, we're not going to pick up any clients. Um, mm. Almost every client I've ever had has been from some version of word of mouth. So they've known someone else who's worked with me and has had good results. And because of the good results that that person has had, they've decided they'll take the risk and they'll work with me as well. Um, so that's been the main way that we've driven clients for my coaching sessions. Now, obviously, when it comes to the the video courses or the app and things like that, we can we can advertise all of those things. Um, but but realistically, all of my clients come from another client saying, "Hey, you should work with Elliot. I think he'll really help you." Mm. And then me picking up the clients there. I think a lot of people should work with you, right? So what, how, how do you convince somebody that they're ready, right? Like uh, I would have said I wasn't ready, right? You asked me to step into a room and I walked into the room. You had told me some of the names that might be in the room. And I was like, I don't belong in this room, right? So how do you, how do you explain to somebody that they are ready for this, that they really, I think everyone needs this, but how do you explain to somebody that they're ready for Elliot specifically? Um, I, I think the first thing is you obviously I never want to put someone in a difficult financial situation. So generally they've already reached some level of success and they're comfortable and they're looking to reach the next level. So they're not at the level you were at when you were looking to leave the factory. You know, Mm. they're not worrying about the monthly bills, those sorts of things. It doesn't make sense. It will only stress you out more if you take on a high level coach at that, at that sort of part of your life. Um, But if you're at a stage of you're making a few hundred thousand dollars a year, you're looking to hit the million dollar mark or anyone over that level. And you know, there are things that you aren't doing that you should be doing to increase your business. 
So one of the exercises that it's useful to do in your mind is where are you now in the money that you're making annually? Where would you be if you overcame the emotional issues that are holding you back? And, you know, in a lot of cases, people will be saying to me, hey, currently I'm making $500,000 a year. I know it's costing me at least three or $400,000 because I'm not doing this, this, and this, and I'm really struggling with them. And I feel like there's this force mm. field holding me back and I've been trying for years. Um, if someone knows that emotional issues or habits or programs are costing them hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, then working with me should be a very obvious choice. So, so that's how I usually explain it to people is that if, if you know you're holding yourself back in those areas and there is an obvious financial uplift, um, then that would be the time to start to look for someone who's very experienced because obviously the cost of not doing it or finding someone cheap who's not as good at it um, isn't as good as the reward of actually getting these issues resolved. Well, I'm super, super thankful that I met you last february i'm thankful that i'm working with you i think you do wonderful work so if anybody's listening that wants to reach out to me directly and ask some questions feel free to uh otherwise head to elliotrow.com and and introduce yourself to elliot or or find somebody at a much cheaper rate that he's willing to you know introduce you to uh to get started because we all have these boxes uh that we've told ourselves this is the way life is and i promise you it's not life is truly whatever you want it to be you just have to believe it in the first place and um you know, I, I'm still working on that every single day, uh, but I, I promise I'll get there. So I, one last question for you. Uh, just a quick question. What is what is one belief you had 10 years ago, Elliot, that that or when you started that today looks absolutely silly? It is that financial one, which is probably why I've mentioned it so many times. Me thinking that there was an end game that you there, me believing there was a happy ever after. I, th I think we all have these goals in our mind that you're going to reach this stage and that's the happy ever after. And, and just as I say, from seeing so many times that that's just not true, that's just the biggest shift I've made. Mm. So understanding that I want to enjoy today as much as possible and the journey to wherever that may be, rather than seeing the journey as a destination. And that, that's been the huge, the biggest learning point for me and the biggest improvement in my life personally is that I really just try and enjoy what I'm doing and, Therefore, it can't really be a bad week or a bad month if I'm enjoying what I'm doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, thanks for all you've done for me and continue to do for me. Thanks for all the people you've introduced me to as well that have just expanded my mind. And uh, thanks for being on the show. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Really excited that I had the opportunity to have my coach on the podcast. I hope you found value in that. Definitely go download Primed Mind. Uh, I think it's 30 bucks for a year to have all of the extras in there too. I would definitely do that. And if anybody listening to this thinks that Elliot Rowe or somebody he's taught is right for them, reach out to me. I'm happy to tell you all about my experience and I'm happy to you know send you along the way to Elliot or somebody else who makes a ton of sense for you. I think this stuff is super, super important for everyone to work on and it's definitely changed my life over the course of the last year. So I can't recommend Elliot enough. If you think he's right for you, reach out. I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, just head to the bkshow.com and you should be able to contact me there. See you next Wednesday.